This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash be here now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash be here now. Hello and welcome to the Shakti Hour podcast on Ram Dass's Be Here Now Network. I am your host, Melanie Moser, and today we are coming back on with a very special podcast episode for you. I took the summer off and um, having a few more months of focused work on another project before I come back at you full force with a new series um, ready to go for the beginning of the next year. But for now, what I want to do is share this episode with you that was recorded almost two years ago here in New York City. I had an opportunity to speak with now presidential candidate Mary Ann Williamson. We met at one of her church uh, events here at Marble College uh, Church, Marble Collegiate Church in Manhattan and sat down uh, weeks later in her apartment here in New York City and had a really delightful chat about many different issues that are so uh, central to her campaign and to everything that she has worked towards in her life as an author and a speaker and a leader in thought and spirituality over the past several decades. For one reason or another, this episode did not get put out in the timing that it was recorded. And so as I've been taking this break and focusing on a, a peace project that I'm going to be very happy to share with you in the coming year, I uh, found this and we're putting it out now to remind you that the Shakti Hour is still here and we have it's still a need to hear women's reflections in the spiritual line. So please enjoy this uh, conversation with Marianne and also remember to subscribe to the Shakti Hour on iTunes. You can also leave us a rating and a review. You can follow me on Instagram, Meditate with Melanie, and also at You've Got Peace. You can find me at Shakti Hour on Twitter and You've Got Peace on Twitter, working on uh, some new exciting projects with art and peace to be coming at you in the coming year. Peace is something I find to be 
very critical to our new identity as a culture as we embrace climate reform and the Green New Deal, remembering that peace is possible and through our spiritual practice and our experience of this in meditation, yoga, and other rituals, we can look for and find it in all things and in all areas of our lives and begin to create that from a new platform as well as we engage with Mother Earth, our resources, and our political and cultural systems in new ways. Thank you so much for continuing to listen to the Shakti Hour and sharing these episodes with your friends. Please do send me an email at the Shakti Hour podcast at gmail.com if you have any uh, comments or questions. And also all of this can be found, of course, at BeHereNowNetwork.com on the Shakti Hour page. Thanks so much for listening. So I'm super grateful to be here today with the lovely and brilliant Marianne Williamson. We're in her home in New York. It's a gray, rainy day, but um, a beautiful view and great company. And um, this is your first visit to the Shakti Hour. And I'm wondering if you uh, want to tell us a little bit, if you have any uh, experience with Ramdas himself or with the Be Here Now or any of those teachings. Well, I am of the generation for whom Be Here Now, the book Be Here Now, was huge. Uh, That book was very formative. You know, I grew up and grew into adulthood at a time when there weren't a lot of spiritual and metaphysical books out there. There were a lot of historical metaphysical books out there, but in terms of contemporary metaphysics and spirituality, um, there wasn't a plethora. There were these major books that just arrived. So Be Here Now was huge. And then later, there was another book he wrote that he co-wrote with someone called Grist for the Mill. It was also very big for me. And then I have met him, and, and I, I think for anyone, particularly at that period of time, he was and remains, of course, a huge figure. Yeah, it's interesting. We bring up this idea that there was not much contemporary spiritual reference literature in that time. And now reflecting on this moment in culture, when there's so much here, in the West and in America, how do we sift through that? How do we find these gems? I mean, Be Here Now landed 1971, this, you know, purple, colorful, <laughs> magical thing um, that could draw all this attention in. But now there's so much out there. How how do we navigate um what we take in to feed ourselves spiritually. Well, whether it was 1971 or 2017, you can tell the real deal when you see it. So you say so much is out there, but in terms of magical gems, um, you know a magical gem when you see one. You know a magical gem when you read one. So, um, And also the magical gems began thousands of years ago. So it's only the arrogance of the modern Western mind that ever thinks that sort of, oh, we have it now, we did it now, they didn't do it before now. You know, it's it really in, in, in the world of ageless wisdom, these, these 
little waves or mere perturbations on the sea. There's one truth that's spoken in many different ways. No one teacher is special. No one writer is special. No one era is special. I mean, there are some great avatars. I'm not, I'm not trying to make Jesus or Moses or Muhammad or even Ram Dass less special. I'm just saying that the spirit of, of, of God, the spirit of, of all that is, is bigger than individual. It's bigger than era. And so when you say, how do you navigate it? You navigate it by knowing that. You navigate by knowing that all that any great spiritual book or even teacher is doing is guiding you and helping to open the door towards that which is within you in any moment of deep silence, wisdom, nobility, meditation, and prayer. So getting too distracted by form, whether human or the book that the human wrote, is usually um, a detour rather than a, an entrance into the sacred chamber where the light is, because that's in our heart. Yeah, that's, that's beautiful. I, it, what you were saying reminded me of this blog post that I read on your um, website recently about titled Our National Identity. Whether as a person or a nation, the question, who am I, needs to precede the question, what should I do? We cannot know what we should do until we know who we really are. And that's the meat of a spiritual practice, right? To know that true identity. And I guess, I guess there is a, in terms of, I mean, it's just, it's part of the question that I've been trying to form in, in wanting to talk to you too about this moment of time that we're in and, and, um, standing up for what you believe in, but knowing all is one, understanding it's coming from within and my consciousness is your consciousness, but needing to be, needing to discriminate and to speak clearly your own truth and a desire to, for that to be as, as pure and as true as possible. I think that in terms of what we're going through in our own uh, political, social, uh, cultural, planetary, uh, spiritual experience, things are happening so fast that the greatest gift we can give to ourselves and to each other is to seek to be present with the question. That is the answer with a capital A. The answer with a capital A is living deeply in the question. In that wonderful book by Rilke, um, Letters to a Young Poet, he said, when you don't have an answer yet, live the question. And to be fully questioned, present for the question, like I said, is the answer with a capital A, because the answer with a capital A is a state of being. The answer with a capital A is a state of being. The, the, the answer is not what do we do. The answer is who are we? We are beings of love, currently heartbroken by the ravages of an unloving world. That's who we are. We are beings of love, currently somewhat traumatized and heartbroken by the chaos of collective madness. Living at a time when we know that this is not the desire of the majority of people on the planet, 
not the desire of anyone we know. And at the deepest level, not even the desire at the deepest level of some of the people who are perpetrating the chaos, but are so unconscious they don't seem to realize that. So that's the question, who are we? We are, and, and we, when we are that, we know that that which we are is bigger than the chaos. But if we seek to obliterate or eliminate the chaos only with the rational mind, we will not be able to do that. It's not powerful enough. It is the power in us but not of us, which is our ultimate being. Infinite compassion, infinite love, the God of our understanding, which alone can dissolve the madness. But our being fully aligned, present, serene within that knowing is what enables us to be the channels or the conduits through which it slash he slash she operates. It then involves intellect, it involves emotion, it involves psychological astuteness, but that point of stillness, being here now, is what puts us in that alignment whereby we can, as they say today, download, receive instruction and guidance without which, no matter what we do, it won't be enough. Everything we do is infused with the consciousness with which we do it. So our capacity to be still in the midst of the chaos is what then gives us the power, as per the instruction each of us is given individually from our own internal guidance, to go back into the realm of chaos and be who spirit needs us to be and to do what spirit needs us to do in order to, along with so many millions of other people on the planet, ultimately dissolve the chaos. And then we party. <laughs> and then we'll party. <laughs> that was beautiful. Thank you. I, I, um, I guess the, the, the challenge, and I feel this most personally, I feel this most internally, but the challenge is allowing that process for everyone. So that's, so, you know, um, like, uh, the KKK, someone member of that could, could believe that spirit is telling them to do this certain thing or could believe that that was part of it. And, and that, and the listening, you know, I assume that behind the, actually there's pain and, and hurt and anger and behind that is the true voice and that other voice is coming through that. So I guess the, the, um, the trust, the deeper trust is in that knowing that what is in me, what I am is what you are and, and is taking all of us in that direction. No, it shouldn't be a challenge for any of us to know that God is bigger than we are. Do you know what I mean? It, it, it's not a challenge. God, there's a force in the universe that holds planets revolving around the sun. And there's a force in the universe that makes embryos turn into babies. And there's a force in the universe that turns buds into blossoms. There's a force in the universe that turns acorns into oak trees. It's got this. Right. <laughs> you know, our, our seeing the universe as our personal burden right. is, is, is not helpful to the process. 
our being joyful in the knowing that God's got this. Now, that doesn't mean that we are to just be passive. There's a line in The Course of Miracles where it says, God's will has never not been done. The planet will evolve to ultimate enlightenment because humanity will ultimately evolve into the remembrance of who and what we actually are. What is completely up to us is how much human and other species suffering needs to occur before that wake up. That is in our hands. That's what free will means. The Course in Miracles says it is not up to you what you learn. It is merely up to you whether you learn through joy or through pain. Even if we were to manifest a global nuclear catastrophe and there are only 25 people left on the planet afterwards, those five surely will decide to do things differently this time. So we will get there. The only question is whether we will get there through global horror or global wisdom. And the issue is for each of us knowing that none of us are given the whole plan. You know, let's say World War II. So there were people, Roosevelt, Churchill, Eisenhower, those guys, and they would send out telegrams to somebody in the African front or somebody in the Pacific or somebody in the Atlantic. Do this. They wouldn't say, let me explain to you how what we're telling you to do fits into the entire theater of war. Right. That, they didn't have to know that. They knew there was a central command. So Central Command is telling you to do a podcast, and Central Command told me to say yes to the podcast. And Central, po and that's really all you have to be here now. Right. <laughs> that's why you're so attracted to that work. It's always for ourselves. Right. Yeah, you know, just, and know that each of us, every cell in the body is assigned. You, the pancreas, you, the liver, you, the bones, you, the blood. And its job is to, through natural intelligence, go to where it needs to go, collaborate with the other cells it needs to collaborate with in order to serve the healthy functioning of the whole. And the cell that's sent to the pancreas isn't asked to heal the lungs. And as far, going back to the haters, I think we need to remember, and there's plenty of evidence, not only historically, but today as well, the haters are not the majority on this planet, and not even anywhere near. And they're not the majority in this country. Even in this country, the, the issues today, we have a, a tyranny by the minority. Mm -hmm. Let's remember that. So the problem is not that there are more haters than lovers. The problem, however, is that the haters hate with conviction today. Mm -hmm. The Chorus of Miracles says miracles are born with con from conviction. We have to display as much conviction behind our love these days as some people are displaying behind their hatred. You know, when slavery was eradicated, there were still people who thought slavery was a good idea. And when women the run, uh, won the right to vote, there were still people who thought that women not voting was a better idea. So we get a little too crazy these days about the people who don't agree with us when we need to be spending more time harnessing the potential 
politically and socially of collaboration among those of us who do agree. Right. Right. Exactly. And that, and that is the, it's almost like, um, the detox, um, craze of, I've got to get all the toxins out of my system <laughs> before I can, whatever. I have to have all the, you know, purge every single negative thought before I can be of service. I have to, right. And in, and, and there was a, part of uh, in your book tears to triumph about surrendering our our sorrow suffering our suffering having been surrendered an alchemical healing process begins immediately situations are miraculously transformed as our thoughts are divinely shifted and so what can i do not eradicate my suffering not abolish my sorrow, but to surrender it and allow the alchemy of the divine process to take. The Course in Miracles says that you are not asked to have no negative thoughts. You're asked to have no negative thoughts you would keep. We're not enlightened masters. You're not going to get to the point, although t theoretically we will get to the point someday, but I'm not expecting to get there this week. And from what you're saying, I don't think you expect to get there this week, where I will have no crazy ego thoughts. The issue is not, I will get rid of those. I can't get rid of those. If I'm thinking I can get rid of those, it's me against me. It's if I, when they come up, surrender them to God, surrender them to a power greater than I, they shall be taken from me. Otherwise, what? Who, who, if, I, if, I could, if I could cast them out, then theoretically, I mean, there, there, there's an illogic there. It was so easy for me to cast them out. The ego, there's a reason it's called the silver-tongued devil. There's a reason the, um, in AA they talk about how addiction is insidious, sly and insidious. When you and I have ego thoughts, the ego is our self-hatred posing as our self-love. So some of our most negative thinking feels good at the time, feels like a good idea at the time. When I've made my biggest mistakes, I didn't wake up that morning thinking, I'm going to make the biggest mistake of my life today. I'm going to totally self-sabotage and totally hurt someone I love. These things, the ego is very sly. So even when I say, well, I'm going to purge it, 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 the ego laughs at that. The ego laughs at that. That's where surrender comes in and deep humility, and the idea of a power greater than we are that can do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. That's what I mean by spirit. Spirit is bigger than mind, isolated mind. Spirit is the mind of God, whatever language we use. But if we leave out that part of, a, of an aspect greater than we are, and that's why there's so much faux spirituality today. It's really just, just like talk about self with crystals in the room. Does that make sense? That there's a humility and a surrender and a realizing that both the darkness and the light within us is something bigger than our mortal mind or our rational mind can either fight back or that which we created. So the darkness of lovelessness cannot just be pushed back because I had an insight. And the light of God is not something I can generate, but something which we can 
make ourselves servants to and asked to be conduits of. And that makes all the difference in the world. One is magic and one is miracles. Magic is where you see yourself as the generator. And basically, God is your errand boy. You know, oh, I can use metaphysics to get this. I can use metaphysics to get that. Miracles is a deep level of use me. And it's that use me that takes us back. Fine, you're being used. It's called your podcast. And it's called every relationship in your life. And, and all you and I have to do is, to the best of our ability in every situation, make ourselves fully available to love. And then we stand within the fullness of the potential and the possibility of any human contact, any situation, knowing that God, which is infinite by whatever name, that there is no limit to what can be done through that. So I can't know um, how you and me talking today may or may not specifically affect hunger in Africa. But I know that hunger in Africa is being solved from a quantum place beyond time and space. And the Course in Miracles set. And so if I enter into that quantum space, then love, as the Course says, has maximal effects. And the Course says miracles or shifts in perception from fear to love affect situations we might never even know about. Great. Great. Thank you. And the, the difficulty, I would say, has been in the, um, the punishing God concept. And the, the, I just did, um, I did some food service at, I forget the name of the ministries, right? Father Heart Ministries in the East Village this Saturday. And the pastor was giving a talk beforehand and he said, your job is to impart to all the people that come in for food Daddy's not angry, and you can have as much as you want. <laughs> it was so beautiful. And that is, that's something, I mean, what, can you speak to the punishing idea? God, light, love casts out darkness. Uh-huh. Love casts out fear the way light casts out darkness. So in any moment, you know, I love that the pastor said, your job is to say, is for your energy to say, God's not, daddy's not angry and you can have as much as you want. That's so beautiful. But I submit to you that in that moment when you are truly embodying and personifying that, the angry God does not exist. He loves being talked about, by the way. The ego loves being talked about, loves being the, the nature of your conversation. The point is to replace that energy with that which is different. To be the alternative. The Course in Miracles says the job of the miracle worker is to be the alternative. We know it exists, but what, 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 we, like, what, what's your conversation going to be? We're going to rationally, intellectually dismantle it? It can't be rationally, intellectually dismantled. The devil laughs at such a thing. Yeah. A mistake. The notion of a punishing God was simply a mental error, a mental miscreation on the part of humanity. Next. The problem 
is not the mental error. The problem is how many live within the mental error. And God's answer to the mental error is enough people who are not living in the error. But talking about the error is adjunct to the error. All the more reason um, why we need to step up living the alternative. You know, one of the reasons that I always felt such respect for professional athletes, like the really good ones or the Olympic athletes, those people who really have it going on, is not only the, the level of physical ability and strength, but psychological and emotional discipline. You will see a basketball player or a tennis player, a great one, who just made a mistake that they haven't made since the sixth grade, which could cost them something, a goal towards which they've worked for years. They do not have time to indulge 0.001% of a second going, oh, damn. Keep going. Keep going. Don't stop. It, we, it, it, it's part of the emotional and psychological discipline of being a seeker. The word disciple and the word discipline come from the same root. Be disciplined. We don't have time for that. We'll talk about it in retrospect. Make sense? Yeah, there's um, the woman who just won the New York City Marathon. She, I read an article about her talking about how she just, in her mind, said, I'm never doing this again. This is my last one before she started the race. I'm not going to leave it the door open that there's going to be another time that I could win this. Yeah. And it, it really, you could feel that that's... The fullness, the, I must be fully present. Yeah, yeah. The great spiritual and religious stories, all of which share common universal themes, if you take, for instance, the core myth of, of, of Judaism, which is the story of the Exodus, and of course, the core story of Christ, they both include the darkness but the darkness is not the end of the story. So there's slavery in Egypt, but the end of the story is deliverance to the promised land. There's suffering on the cross, but the end of the story is the resurrection. So you don't ignore the condition of the crucifixion, but you proclaim the resurrection. And it takes three days. It takes the symbolic three days, or it takes the symbolic 40 years, but you, you get on the road and you know it has been done. See, that's the message of the great religious stories. They are coded information. And it, we, as I said before, we'll get there. The issue is how long that three days is going to be, how long that 40 years is going to be in earth time. That is up to us. But whether or not we're getting there has already been established. Right, so there's a sense of relief in that. Yeah. Yeah. But can you... <laughs> my father used to always say when we were kids, if I tell you to do something, then I want to then be able to... to uh, I want you to say to me, consider it done. I want to know that if I say that needs to be done, 
that I can consider it done. And to me, the stories, the great religious stories, whether it is the enlightenment of Buddha or deliverance of the promised land or the resurrection, I can consider it done. I, I have under my control how long in earth terms before we see that. But it is already programmed into the universe. Or as the Course in Miracles says, there is a limit beyond which the Son of God cannot miscreate. Well, can you speak to what that process has been for you internally? Like that 40 days or those three days like of coming to that? This is not the story of any one life. It's the story of every relationship. It's the story of every encounter. It's the story of every situation any of us have found ourselves in. Um, I've gotten it right at times. I've gotten it wrong at times. I've had successes in my life in relationships and professionally. I've had failures in my life professionally and, and, and failures um, professionally and personally. What did it look like when I got it right? I rose to the occasion. I got over myself. I wasn't stuck on me. I thought about the other person. I was forgiving. I was merciful. I was kind. I was generous. What was it when I got it wrong? I was stuck on self, I was self-centered, I was selfish, I was childish, I was immature, immature, I did not rise to the occasion, I had no impulse control, I did not pray for guidance first, I did not meditate enough, I had an, an imbalanced nervous system, I was not serene, I was not as kind as I should have been, and on and on and on. Pretty simple here. You know, life is complicated, but truth is simple. And that's why if you meditate in the morning, if you pray in the morning, if you are deeply embedded in foundational information, not only mentally, but, but even on a cellular level through meditation, yoga, and so forth, it is much more probable that you will be a conduit for the energies of love and graciousness that lie within you. And if you don't, since the dominant thought system of the world is fear-based, and since so much of the craziness and the chaos coming at us all the time, every day these days, is such an assault, then the chances, unless, if you do not meditate, if you do not um, pray, the chances are, are, are far more probable you will make a mistake. So you talked about, about uh, Ram Das. The point of power is where you, within your stillness, then you will know. Be still and know I am, is how it says in the Bible. And then you are far more likely to say and do things that bring forth the happy outcome. And I've seen that in my life as much as I've seen it in anyone else's lives because those laws are unalterable. There are obje objective, discernible laws of internal experience, just like there are objective, discernible laws of external experience. If I drop the microphone, it's going to fall to the ground. You don't call me faithful that I said that. I simply know the law of gravity. And knowing the law of cause and effect is the same. If I bless, I will have one uh, experience of life. If I blame, I will have another experience of life. Once you know that, once you know what you put out there is what you're going to get, then you are empowered as long as you seek to embody that knowledge. Right. It's good to be reminded. It's good to be reminded. Reminded. Yeah. And the value to me personally of these conversations is that I never know 
what direction they're going to take. And uh, just like life, yes. And through any uh, attempts I've made to, to formalize any kind of discussion or questioning, um, it's always led in the opposite direction. The more I come in to them with just to see what's there, the, 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 um, the deeper the heart experiences. Right. Yeah. And that's part of the um, unfolding of the voice within for me. And I think as I'm sharing this now with the process of unfolding the tune to the spirit voice. Yeah. It's an exploratory process. You live in the inquiry. That's what I was saying at the beginning. The greatest service you can be for others is to be present to the inquiry yourself. And so coming in to um, meet with a person who has, has offered so much material and uh, books and writing and things, that is part of the training to meet each moment anew and to connect in this moment with you to see what we uncover together. And that is a huge gift and a really big blessing. And part of what, you know, has been my karma, (laughs) I'll say, in that um, somehow I'm getting to sit with people who have done, really devoted themselves to the path and and getting to be reflective and reflected to by them and, and sharing that through the voice out into the world. And um, I, can, I mean, that's the, I have nothing but gratitude for that, but I can say that that is the vessel. That's the vessel moment <laughs> for me, for sure, through this process. Um, so then, what is it that we... Um, can focus on in this moment to bring ourselves into balance um, with one another? God. Love. If you make your goal when you walk into any situation, whether it's a meeting a date, an interview, any encounter whatsoever, that you have the discipline and the awareness to blast it with love before you go there. Send your love before you. Ask only in your own way that you be a vessel of love, that you be a space whereby other people will more fully experience their own goodness because they feel that you salute it that people will feel their own goodness and their own strength and their own power because you recognize it, that you rise to the occasion. There is nothing else. There is only that moment. The past will always be in in your head. The future will always be in your head. And if you're trying to figure out what else to do, that is a trick of the ego mind to make sure you're not being here now, 
You know, I would submit to you, we've already had a cool conversation. Um, there's a line in the, in the course about receiving the comfort of your own teaching. Receive the satisfaction of knowing that we have had already a conversation which I think stands a good probability of making at least one other human being experience an aha moment. If we did that, if you and I did that, and I think we did because I think we both showed up for the inquiry, then we can high-five each other and know, hey girl, we did what we could in this hour. And it is none of our business how it affects, who it affects. And it actually is a corruption on our part if we try to control that or monitor that. Yes, we have. And yes, and yes, it is. And um, it, it, um, it, it has a built-in, this process and this podcast and this network and being under Ram Dass's guidance and our, our guru, Neem Karoli Baba, it does have a built-in um, <coughs> net of, of other ambitious that is irrelevant. The truth comes out regardless. So we sit in that together. I will say, I have asked <laughs> all of my guests, because it is the Shakti Hour devoted to the Divine Feminine, I have asked all of my guests if they would give a specific piece of loving guidance to women and girls on the spiritual path. I think that the essence of spirituality is not of itself about gender. Although the spiritualization process is a feminine process. It is a feminization process. When people have a problem with calling God he, for instance. In the Eastern religions, yang is the masculine earth force and yin is the feminine I mean, yang is the masculine spirit force and yin is the feminine earth force. So this is not a genital issue. The mass, it's like a masculine plug, the male and the female plug. It's not genitals we're talking about here. It's that the masculine penetrates the feminine. To the extent to which spirit or God is masculine, the human soul is feminine. So spiritualization, spirituality is a feminine process in that it is the human heart whether on the part of a man or a woman, which allows itself to be penetrated by God. And what emerges from that is the enlightened or Christ itself, which is neither male nor female. <clears throat> it is fathered by God and mothered by our humanity. What is very significant at this time, in terms of women and girls, is the social, political, economic very human issue of this time. And that issue, like every issue, is informed and illumined by spirituality. Spirituality 
honors because it, in essence, is the life of the heart. And women have a natural propensity to discuss relationships, for instance, to tend, to nourish, to nurture. Now, men have that too. I'm not saying they don't, but I'm saying it is the feminine aspect in all of us. And we have manufactured on this planet a system, an organizational system that is predicated on values, primarily economic, that do not honor love first, do not honor relational issues first, do not honor nurturing of self, others, and planet, and animals first. And so to honor the feminine means to honor those values, but it also means to have the bravery to speak them at a time when the system as it now exists does not appreciate it. And we are, as Western women, living for the first time in an era where we have that power. And now what we have to do is face the derision and the mockery, the lack of approval, the insults that just might come if we do stand up for those issues, not just in the personal domain, but in the public domain. Unlike women in some parts of the world, we will not be murdered for doing so. We will not be have parts of our body cut off for doing so. Unlike our ancestors, we will not be put in jail for doing so. But we still, however, face consequences, or the, at least the probability, if not the likelihood of consequences. And that's where I think Western women are today. Okay, you wanted the power? You wanted the power to use your voice? Now use it. Because just know, living a meaningful life and using your power is not a popularity contest. You will not be seen as a nice girl if you do that. Not only will not every man approve of you if you do that, not every woman will approve of you if you do that. There is a lot of economic power, a lot of social power you might have accrued because you were willing to play the game, but you have come to realize that the game includes an inbuilt prejudice against those more feminine issues of nurturance, of self, others, children, and planet. How brave are you willing to be? How courageous are you willing to be? I think that feminism, even from a spiritual perspective, is diminished and corrupted if we make it all about what we get. We must move now into a deeper conversation about what we have to give and what we have to say and who we have to protect, namely our children and our planet. The feminine is fierce when she has to be on behalf of the protection of her young. Thank you. Well, I would love to speak with you for much, much longer, but I think we did get a lot of good stuff together here today. And I'm so, so appreciative of your time and your honesty and your willingness to, to spend and share with me. So you'll find 
links to Marianne's books on the Shakti Hour page at BeHereNowNetwork.com. And thank you. Thank you so much. Thank and you. God bless it. <laughs> This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Time can feel like it's in short supply. Between work, family, and friends, there's very little time left just for you. What would you do with an extra hour in your day? What's important to you? Therapy can help you find what matters to you so that you can do more of it. It's a great way to increase self-awareness, build a greater sense of purpose, deal with overthinking, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash BeHereNow today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash BeHereNow.